Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You're running so that's for sure. This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And before we get started, I want to give a shout out to all you lifers. Thank you for liking and sharing and listening and keeping us at the top of the charts in the world. Thank you to the convicts and patrons and subscribers through Apple who make this show run. Love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. And you have an extra bonus episode to be locked up next week. I think that puts us in the, I don't know, 25 to 30 range, y'all, that you have locked up. And I hope you're enjoying all your benefits. Y'all also check out our Real Life Real Crime Daily Show, which is now four days a week instead of three due to popular demand. And Bloody Angola, which comes out on Thursdays, which is another fire show that I do with my co-host, Jim Chapman. So today, 
Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different, but I think it needs to be done. And um, so just bear with me, okay? This case uh, comes out of Washington Parish, Louisiana, all right? And Washington Parish is about an hour and a half northeast of New Orleans. It's north of St. Tammany Parish, and it butts up against the Mississippi line, like, and it's a kind of like in the corner uh, of the boot of, of Louisiana. If you're looking at the maps all the way to the right top of the boot, um, very rural parish. The only thing that I know of industry wise they have there is the paper mill in the town of Bogalusa. And, but everything else is pretty much, it's really rural, rural, rural. And it's, uh, you know, more dairy farmers and, and, uh, people who make the living off the land, right? And, you know, I have a lot of history there, a, um, a lot of time, a lot of different stories on real life for a crime that I tell, you know, like the anhydrous simonia plant that they blew up one night and stuff like that. But I, I knew the guys over there. I worked with them a lot through the years. And um, even when I was with the state police and when I was with uh, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office because – it seemed we had the same turds um, that would come back and forth and, and do the same dirty deeds, if you will. But it's really small, y'all, and the sheriff's office is small, and and um, but they're good people, right? It's country, country, country. And in 1995, it was even more so. And it, I mean, it's pretty developed now, but nothing like Livingston Parish or anything like that. It's still really country really out of the way. But it, there was a family who lived there um, who owned a dairy f- farm, and it was on a uh, road called Star Hill and on Highway 438 in the far northern part of Washington Parish, y'all, almost to the Mississippi line. And it was owned by Bobby and Lander Spears. Okay, and now... Uh, Lander and Bobby have been married for many, many years. They had a very successful dairy farm. I think it was a couple hundred acres. You know, they milked cows every day. But they also had a bar on one corner of their property. And yeah, a bar. And and my mom always said two things you never have to go far to find in South Louisiana, and that's a bar and a church. But they had a bar. Uh, on one corner of their property and they would work that at night and, you know, they had some help that would come in and help them um, milk the cows and run the dairy and all that. But all accounts, they're successful people. Everybody loved them. Um, They had been there, you know, their entire lives. Everybody knew them as is the case in most of these small parishes, Um, but just really, really good people. And they said that, you know, Lander Spears didn't have any enemies, um, and Miss Bobby was just a sweetheart and and a good lady. But they had they had children, and one of them's name was Shanda, S H A N D A. Okay, and uh, of course she was Spears when she was growing up, and the same last name as her parents, and she was well liked, and and she was a cheerleader in school, and she even won. 
whatever beauty contests they have for whatever festival they have. And I told y'all in past episodes, every parish has their own festival, it seems like. And I think there's was like the Cow Festival or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, um, Shanda uh, grew up and, like I said, was, was you know, pretty and, and uh, well-liked and, you know, just a all-American girl, right? And then she would graduate, and I think within two years she had her first child, and then um, that didn't work out. The relationship didn't work out. The, then she had another child, and then another child. Now, she, when she had her last child, she she was with uh, her significant other, and his last name was Crane. Now she took the last name and you know lived with him, et cetera. But now she wasn't doing too much, if you will. She she was working odd jobs. Um, she worked for her parents at the dairy, and she would go in and milk the cows in the morning. She handled their financial books. There was another store that she worked for that she handled some financial books for. Um, and you know, they said she was a pretty good mom, right? She's raising her kids, and I think her her oldest was like eight on this day that I'm going to tell you about. The um, and anyway, she you know by all accounts was just a pretty decent person, right? And a, and a, and a decent mom, and doing odd jobs and trying to please her significant other if you will. And on Tuesday, January 25th, she took her kids, dropped them off at the school bus or whatever, but her one daughter she had with her had an ear infection, and she had to go to the dairy to milk the cows. Now she arrives at her parents' house uh, and on Star Hill and she said she went inside and she brought her daughter inside and put her in the bed with her father. And, the, um, and then she went out to the barn and milked the cows and, and then came back in and got her daughter to leave. And they left and uh, went and ran some errands or something. And then she was returned to her parents' house. Now, the kid's still in the car, right? And the, um, she returns to the parents' house, and she sees a guy on the roadway, which one of her parents' hired hands, and he tells her, he says, look, I looked in the door. I, I mean, your parents weren't up, and I looked in the door, and I saw something bad. And I, I um, so she goes to the house with him, and they look through the door, and the door's locked, right? They look through the door and sees her mama down in the hallway with blood. Um, she hauls ass to the convenience store off the road and calls 911. Now, the cops show up, um, and they go in, and they find a pretty gruesome scene. The mama's down in the hallway, lots of blood, um, and then if it couldn't get any worse, they go in to her father's bedroom. They slept in separate bedrooms, y'all, the mom and the dad did. Father's bedroom, and he's in the bed, and he's dead, 
okay, gunshot wounds to the head, and there were several more bullet holes in the wall around the bed. Um, no firearm located, nothing like that. She's all freaked out and crying and, you know, um, just a bad scene, right? And, and now what through the deputies, and the first deputy arrived on the scene, I mean, he knew the family, right? Been there forever. And But he saw the carnage and everything, and the detectives come out to work at and they take her statement, and she said, hey, came over this morning, uh, brought, put my daughter into bed with my dad, with my dad cause she's got an earache. I went out and milked cows. I know my parents were up late last night dealing with the bar, and um, came back in and, and got her and told them I would be back, and left, and I came back, and that's, the rest is what I told y'all. But she wasn't considered a suspect or anything. One of the reasons why is because her daddy's, two of her daddy's relatives, one being a brother, had been murdered within, I, don't, I think, like six weeks of, of this scene that they're seeing now. And so they're thinking, holy shit, that somebody's trying to execute this whole family. The, the detectives take her statement, and they don't have any reason to disbelieve it or anything, but they have these other open cases, and they're, and they're like, oh, holy shit, we got to, I mean, this has to be related, right? I always tell y'all there's no such thing as a coincidence in homicide cases like that. And for three members of one family to be basically murdered or executed, actually four members, um, to be executed in a, in a short period of time, yeah, that's, that's what I would have looked at too first as an investigator. Um, but... Kind of, you know, they worked the scene, the process of scene, like I told you. The bullet holes in the bed around uh, Landon Spears. Now, Landon Spears, it was Landon Spears Sr. He's 58 years old, and the, her mom was Bobby Spears, who's 51, okay? the One, one of the things they worked the scene, they, there's no shell casings, all right? What, what does that tell you? That it's going to be a revolver, right? And uh, it came to light through the investigation that, uh, Landon Spears had bought a a revolver shortly before his murder because, his, like I told you, his brother had been murdered and uh, another family member had been murdered. And I guess he was you know, out of fear for himself. And he even had a Washington Parish deputy, off-duty deputy, show him how to fire it and stuff like that and be safe with it and what have you. Well, that firearm's missing, Okay. Um, there's no signs of a house being robbed when they're working the scene. It's not really anything disturbed or anything. It's not. I mean, it's just a straight up execution. No, uh, no shell casings around Bobby Spears, and she's been shot multiple times, and and she's laying in the hallway. So it appeared like the person, the shooter, shot uh, Lance. Shot the dad first, and and then the mom was asleep in another room. She got up when she heard the gunshots, naturally, and she runs into the hallway, and then she's summary um, executed. So they're working it, and of course they find out about the pistol that he had bought, and they also found out that guess what? The phone lines now back then, y'all was all landlines. Cell phones were barely out at all, and I can guarantee you they weren't in Washington Parish. The, the phone lines to the house had been cut, 
okay, major red flag, right? Um, but they go on and and they get a call from the local bank and they go in and they talk to the bankers and the bankers are like, hey, somebody's been writing checks, forging checks off the Spears account. And we're pretty sure we know who it is. We're pretty sure it's Chandra's um, handwriting on it. And, and y'all remember she handled the money for it, okay, for them. And she drained the account down from thousands of dollars down to just like 100 bucks or $200. Um, turned out that she also had an addiction to playing video poker, which had been legal in the state of Louisiana for maybe a year or two. And her parents had put video poker machines in their bar. Now, back then, any place that sold alcohol or had a license to sell alcohol could get a video poker machine. And look, it was a big money maker, y'all, for these establishments. They got a, a cut off of every dollar that was spent in a video poker machine. But she was gambling and didn't have the means to pay for it. Uh, uh, so they, they start to put her on the radar, right? And about five days after the murder, murders, they bring her in and they start to question her, this time as a suspect, right? Um, and she ultimately, in her words, and, and I mean, you can go watch this. There's been a TV show on it on Snapped, and it's been covered. They, they call it the video poker murders. There was a lot of uh, news coverage at the time, which, of course, it would be in any case where somebody murders their parents. But the they they figured the motive was that uh, she wanted the money from her parents. Now another business that she worked at where she did some of the uh, accounting for also they they reported also that you know they checked their shit and she had been forging checks on them also. So they bring her in and they question her and first she denies it. Then y'all guess what? She breaks down. And she tells the truth. She told him that she went over there and, like she said, put the daughter in the bed. She went out and milked the cows, came back in. Now, this is cold-hearted. Came back in, got her daughter, put her daughter in the car, left the door to the car open, went back inside. And that pistol I told you about her dad had just bought, was laying, it was a revolver, was laying on the floor on the side of his bed. She said, I picked it up and I shot him. But guess what? She missed. And get, I mean, imagine if you're sleeping and someone shoots you and they miss how loud it has to be in that room. And naturally he would have sat up. Um, and I, I think there was evidence of like three different bullet holes uh, um so maybe she missed twice. I'm not sure. But she told him, she said, I missed. And then she said, I shot him again. Um, and they said, how many times? And she said, I don't know, right? And then they asked about her mama. And she said, well, I turned around and mama was coming running out of the bedroom. And I shot her too. And they said, how many times? And she said, I, I don't remember. And then they said, what did you do with the gun? And she said, I threw it in the oxidation pond by the dairy barn. Now, y'all, an oxidation pond is basically basically just a shit pond the, um, where all the 
stuff gets washed into, et cetera, like a settling pond. Um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase them for you because I want to get to what I want to play for you in a minute. The She goes back and gets in the car and, um, and leaves, right? Well, then they get to talk to her about her video, uh, video poker debts and the gambling and writing the bad checks and, and all that. She confesses everything. I mean, like, just straight up. Never said her husband was with her or anyone was with her. I mean, matter of fact, she denied that. Anyone, then no one with her but her kid. Now, how cold-blooded it is to kill your parents, but you do it when your kids are like sitting in a car waiting and you come back and, you know, I th- you know whatever. Um, so they lock her up, two counts of first-degree murder. She's looking at the death penalty, and sometime later, with six weeks or uh, before the trial, she decides she wants another meeting with detectives. She gets it. They go to the interview again, and she says, uh-uh. She said, I, I, I'm recanting my statement. I didn't kill my parents. My husband did it, um, and, you know, I didn't do it, and I lied about everything, right? Well, guess what? That happens, and it's happened a million times in my career where you get the confession, you get the juice out of them, and then you lock them up, and then later on they're like, holy fuck, what did I actually say? Why did I say that? I mean, they said it because it's the truth, but they're like, holy shit, I'm looking at the death penalty. And I told her myself, right? So what did she do? She recants it. Now she tries to blame on her husband. Then she tried to blame on her brother. And they was proven like that they couldn't have been there. They were alibied out and stuff like that. So she took it to trial. Now, Tommy D'Amico was one of her attorneys. Um, you have heard me talk about Tommy in past episodes, and, or Thomas D'Amico. He's an excellent criminal defense attorney. Uh, um, I've known him for years. And she was lucky to have him, okay? And because I know Tommy's not cheap. And and maybe he got appointed because she it was a death penalty case. And look, they tried. They were going for the they were going for the death penalty. And the um you know, it just went on. The the basically her defense was that her husband did it, she didn't do it, the cops coerced a confession out of her, basically did everything but beat her, and including bringing in a, um, a preacher deputy that ultimately you know helped get the confession out of her. It doesn't matter, y'all. You confess. She told the details of the crime, um, you know, in graphic detail. Go watch that uh, snapped episode, and, and you can actually hear her confession tapes and, or see her confession. And, of course, Tommy tries to attack the, the confession and have it thrown out, saying it was coerced and, and all that. He Hey, he does what defense attorneys do, and he can't fault him. It's his job. And the uh, jury didn't believe it, okay? And, and even though t- Tommy was, was like the motive, right, which you don't have to prove motive in the, in the state of Louisiana, uh, but the state had put on that. She was getting part of a life insurance policy. I think it was a $300,000 policy, but she was only getting 50000 off of it. But the, that land, the dairy barn and the land and the acreage and the cows and the tractors and everything that goes with it, shit, that's worth a lot of money, probably a million dollars. But even though she would only got a, a split of it to a person who's, who's 
kiting checks or writing bad checks and stealing checks and, and to feed their uh, gambling addiction, that's a lot of money. All right, but but she her defense was uh, no, my parents would have given me anything, um, and you know they gave me the moon. They would have walked on the moon for me. Well, guess what? Evidently not. And anyway, it was an eight uh, man and four woman jury, and it only took them four and a half hours before they came back with a guilty verdict. All right, then it goes to the death penalty phase of the trial. Now. That's where they tell about mitigating circumstances and, and everything else and why she shouldn't be put to death. And ultimately, the family did not want her to receive the death penalty, even though the state still went for it. And the uh, jurors, I mean, that's a pretty heavy load to put on anybody. And they deliberated for three hours, um, and they they were deadlocked on death penalty. Now, of course, the death penalty's got to be unanimous, 12 out of 12. So the, um, you know, it's that's just the way that it was, and the the. So she gets sentenced. It's automatic sentence by the judge to life in prison times two, without the possibility of parole. Never getting out. It's over with. Now, of course, she has a right to an appeal, and I'm pretty sure every. Every convict in the world, uh, um, I, I guess some of them. Well, I, I know Ashley Posey missed her her filing deadline. You have a year, y'all, and when they send it to you, they tell you you have a year for file for post conviction relief, file your appeals, da 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 da. And I believe she fired Tommy uh, or Thomas D'Amico. I don't know why. Maybe she couldn't afford him, whatever deal. Uh, but the she goes to prison at Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women in St. Gabriel, and guess what? She misses her fucking filing deadline. Now, look, you're in prison for a year. You ain't got shit else to do. Um, you're convicted for first-degree murder times two, and, you know, why don't you file your appeal? Well, she had filed one. But it was after the year had passed by, so she automatically gets denied. No appeal. You're fucked. I mean, you had nothing else to do. Uh, and the, I mean, you're locked up. And you got plenty of jailhouse lawyers and our, uh, everybody that are appellate lawyers that would have helped you. But she missed her date. So when she finally did file it, they automatically denied her, right? Well, the years go by. And Chandra seems to be, you know, pretty squared away inmate and I never really got that I mean they join the programs and they do this and they do that well you know what you have one of two choices either you get with the fucking program or you do hard time right you know they say you know do your time don't let your time do you well Chandra wasn't letting her time do her she got with the program, and she you know gets certificates for this, for Toastmaster and upholstery and all this stuff. And um, but you know what? I mean, I mean, people give them accolades and and all these convicts that get all this stuff. They give them all these props. I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? What else are they gonna do? They gonna fight the system and stay in the hole for for the rest of their life? And now some of them are that dumb. Some of them choose to do that. But I mean, so I submit to you that my ass was locked up. I'd take every program I could just to pass the time. 
But the kicker is this, y'all. The she's in and she's down and she's down for life when she starts this shit. She's maintaining her innocence. She's saying she's railroaded, that the cops railroaded her, they got a false confession, they threatened her, and then all this bullshit. She said, I did not kill my parents, right? And she's sticking to it. Now, she even gets a LinkedIn. Now, how the fuck you get a LinkedIn when you're in prison? I don't know, but I'll read it to you. It says, on January 21st, 1997, I was convicted of first-degree murder despite substantial proof of a coerced confession that ultimately led to my arrest, a severe lack of forensic evidence. I was found guilty and sentenced to two life without parole. Though I continue to maintain my innocence, I have spent 27 years incarcerated at Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women in Baton Rouge. I am currently 56 years old. Y'all forgot to mention that exactly in the spot in the pond where she said she threw the pistol, they had to drain the pond. It took like three days, and guess what? The pistol was there, okay? And there's not going to be any DNA or fingerprints on the pistol that's been sitting in the water. But um, she confessed, right? And, and and nobody else did it. I mean, she tried to drain, blame it on other people. They were they were excluded. And after the fact, after she's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get the needle. But she goes on, and then, she, like I told you, she missed her pill. Then, now... She's adamant this whole time that she's misinnocent, okay? And on February 3rd of 2022, I'll read you this article, then i got to play you what uh, the stuff I want to play you. It says, convicted double murderer, Shonda Spears Crane, has filed a request for Governor John Bell Edwards to grant her clemency. She was convicted of 1995 murders of her parents at their Star Hill residence on Highway 438 in far northern Washington Parish. Her parents were Lander Spears Sr. and Bobby Spears. The case became notorious, and her 1997 trial was widely covered by Louisiana media. All right, so now she's taken to the governor, right? I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And, I mean, okay, and and you're innocent, but you confess, right? uh, But she's got all these different groups. Go online and and Google Shonda Spears and— they are taking this shit hook, line, and sinker, right? They're they're defending her. She they want her exonerated, and they're petitioning the governor for a clemency hearing. Um, it's just absolutely. I, I'm looking at all these different groups as we're talking, y'all, and and I can't believe she has this many people duped. Now, I, what I want to do, I'm going to take you to the clemency hearing. And I want you to listen to it. It's a little bit long. Uh, um, I'm going to talk over some of the parts of it because they need to be talked over. And afterwards, I'm going to tell you what, and I'm not going to say their names. A couple of lifers were in prison. Include, I'm not going to say how or why, whether they were working there or, or convicts or whatever. But we're in prison with Chandra, and I'm going to tell you. The real Chandra, according to them. Now, of course, I wasn't there, uh, um, and I have no direct knowledge, but I'll tell you what was told to me. But first of all, the they all these groups bring enough political pressure where the clemency board, the 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 board that has the power, they're appointed by the governor of the state of Louisiana, um, actually decides they'll hear her case, and that's very rare, y'all. I mean, she's double convicted murder. So I'm going to play it, and there's some pauses and stuff like that. 
and and this is on the Zoom thing, so just bear with me and um, it's important, okay? Ms. Pratt, I've reviewed your case um, very carefully, and what I'd like to do is just have tell me more what happened to your parents. What happened to your parents? Wasn't a true question. On the day, on January the 25th, 1995, my husband and I had devised a plan to steal some money out of their home. And my parents ended up murdered. I killed my parents in the process. Well, you're skipping over a whole lot of the process. Uh, Ms. Cranes, I want to know specifically who shot and killed each of your parents. I didn't kill my, I didn't shoot my parents, but I'm responsible because I left the door open and I was there and I was part of it. And I also, no, I don't hear that yet. Ms. Crane, there have been a lot of discrepancies in your statements over the years. There's actually a confession. We have a police report, and there's a confession where you acknowledge shooting both of your parents. Initially, you blamed your husband for the killing, uh, but he, although uh, life detection tests are invincible, he passed a lot of uh, life detection tests, but uh, more importantly, his alibi uh, was thoroughly investigated. And it checked out. That was a And when you were told out. by the police that your husband was not a viable suspect, you then blamed your younger brother. Isn't that correct? Yes, ma'am. I did a lot of lying back then. You oh, think? I understand that, but you might be doing a lot of lying today. Yeah. And I will tell you one of the things that's important to me as a court member is the honesty of the person that I am making a decision yes ma'am your husband your husband was never charged with this offense is that correct no ma'am he wasn't and so despite your claims that he was part of this plot for robbery there was no evidence to substantiate that and he was never charged with any crime is that correct yes ma'am that's correct and in fact, you were the one who threw the weapon in the oxidation pond, and that's where they recovered the weapon. Is that not correct? Yes, ma'am, that's correct. And in fact, you have been stealing money from your parents to support a gambling habit. Is that not correct? Yes, ma'am, that was correct, along with his drug habit. Well, again, money. Hey, I mean, keep trying to blame somebody else and bring somebody else into this. He didn't no, You no, shot all your parents. Yes, ma'am. I killed my parents. Now, now, you started off by saying, well, I feel responsible because I left the door open. My question to you today is, did you that shoot and kill all of your parents? Yes, ma'am. What the fuck? Why? There was a lot going on 
with me and my husband and I'm not blaming him. I'm just trying to give you some type of um, foundation to, to how it got to that point. I, I'm not trying to put the blame off on him, but he was very abusive to me and my, my oldest daughter. And he needed, he wanted money. I wanted money. I was trying to please him. I was trying to just say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Make sure everybody just didn't get hurt in the whole situation. And in the process, I ended up hurting the two people who means the most to me. And I am so, so sorry. It's strange. It's strange. Stop it. First of all, you and the one, I think there was like $30,000 bezel from your family. You were the one at the phone lines to their house so the bank couldn't call them to uh, inform them of discrepancies uh, in their banking uh, account. You were the one who did that. Yes, ma'am, I did that. And then you went to their house, you took your daughter because she was sick, didn't go to school. You took them, took her to your parents' house where she fell asleep. And then prior to going in the house to kill your parents, you went in the house, you brought your daughter out of the house, and then you went and you murdered both your parents. So let's not sugarcoat what happened. No, ma'am. Okay, you're it on an abusive relationship. What blamed your younger brother? I don't recall blaming my younger brother because he was offshore. Again, Ms. Crane, we have a complete record. I have every police report. I have every statement that you have ever made in connection with this case. And again, when confronted with the information that your husband could not have committed this crime, you then said it was your younger brother. I don't dispute the record, no, ma'am. Because you lied so much. I just don't recall that. Because you lied so much. And my question is, why? How could you shoot and kill both of your people? I'm sorry. I didn't hear what she said. I couldn't hear what she said. How could you shoot and kill both of your parents? 
I wasn't saying thinking clearly is not even better words. I just, I was scared. Uh, My husband. Gotta come up with something. All right. We're going to move forward, uh, Ms. Crane. Um, you know, I have looked at your uh, prison history, and and it looks good on paper. It really does look good. Uh, you've had your counsel said less than 10 disciplinary write-ups, but uh, according to the record. Yeah, I'm going to fast forward uh, to this part. Actually but uh, all it does is talks about. Some write-ups that she had, and and some school shit she did, and that she's mentoring other people. She's a model prisoner, basically. Now, remember, she's got all these clemency groups, all these people uh, around the country uh, signing petitions, doing all this shit to get her because she's innocent, right? And then she maintained innocence, and then she went in there and they called her, and she she flipped like a little bitch. And she's like, yeah, you guess what? I did fucking do it. Oh, but you blamed it on your husband. Yeah. But he, you know, he was alibied out. Yeah. But then you blamed it on your brother. Well, I don't really remember blaming it on my brother, blah, blah, blah. But basically, she admits that she shot him now. Now, that automatically fucking should deny you for this clemency hearing. If for, I mean, you've been lying the whole fucking time. But here, you got to list the rest of it. I'm just skipping over some shit about her upholstery and Toastmaster awards and all this great shit she's done in prison, right? But they get back in that ass here in a minute. So let me let me get back, back to it. And I just let anyone tell me what to do. She explained why she did it. Your husband told you to kill your parents? Yes, ma'am. Said so that's some Zoom pauses, y'all. Now she's back to blaming it on her husband. It just takes a second; it freezes up. I don't know why. Your husband was not on the scene when your parents were killed, were they not? Your husband was not on the scene when your parents were killed. Is that correct? He was, but the police report says he wasn't. I covered for him, oh Miss Jackson. God. I took the blame because I felt totally responsible. It was my fault. By the way, he's dead. Well, let, let me read some of the details that you gave the police, okay? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I hate to have to do this, but because of your lack of candor, I feel compelled to do that. Um, on the morning of Wednesday, January 25th, 1995, at approximately 7 o'clock, Ms. Brain advised that she drove up to the residence of her mother and father, accompanied by her daughter, Brittany. Arrived at the residence, was met at the door by her father, who let Ms. Crane and her daughter into the home through the back door. Uh, she for the back door. This was the second door from the west wall of the residence. After entering the residence, Ms. Frame left her daughter with her father and proceeded to the dairy barn to make preparations 
for that morning milking. She stated that she won't get into the milking because that's not. But she returned to her parents' home, entered through the same door she had entered previously, went to her father's bedroom, and awakened her daughter without disturbing her father, who had apparently gone back to bed. She took her daughter to the car, placed the child inside the vehicle, leaving the child there. She returned inside the residence, entered her father's room, picked up his weapon, which he kept beside his bed, fired one shot in the direction of her father. She stated that shot apparently missed her father because he was awakened by the first shot and started to rise from his own position. At that point, she looked directly. This crane looked directly at me, meaning the officer. Mr. Harold, my daddy saw me. This crane stated that she fired the weapon again, but could not advise how many times she, uh, she shot. She stated that she then went to her mother's room, which is located a few feet away across the hall. Upon entering her mother's room, Ms. Crane stated, I wanted to shoot mama in the leg, so I aimed low. I asked Ms. Crane how many times she fired the weapon at her mother, and she replied, I don't know. I heard mama scream, and I run out of the house. I asked Ms. Crane if she knew she had hit her mama, and she replied, no. I asked Ms. Crane to try to explain to me why she felt she needed to shoot her mother and father. And then she replied, I thought that if I could get rid of mama and daddy, that all of my problems would be solved. I asked Ms. Crane to explain which of her problems, and she stated, my husband was very jealous of my parents, and I thought if they were out of the way, then Brent would love her. I asked Ms. Crane to continue with her statement, and she complied. She said that after she left the residence, she took the child to Kim's house, her sister-in-law, and returned to the barn to finish milking. I asked her where the weapon was, and she responded, in my coveralls. Uh, I asked her where the weapon was at that time. She said, in my coveralls. I asked her to tell me about the weapon. She replied, I threw it in the pod. I asked her which pod, and she said, the one by the barn, the oxidation on. Uh, and uh, got emotional, and uh, he left the room, and he settled down, and that was... Um, and the extent of the interview. That's what you told the police. Yes, ma'am. Um, your husband was there. You didn't tell him, you know, you told them that you felt like your parents were a problem and you need to eliminate to solve your own problem. Those were your words. Yes, ma'am. Right. And so my question is, you know, you keep wanting to blame domestic violence. There's no evidence that there's been any domestic violence. Are y'all there talking to her about her background? What did your husband do? He drove a truck for a florist company. Listen, looking at your police report, started in 1991, you had my checks, worthless checks at 91, 
uh, issued worth, worthless checks again in 1991, uh, 1992, issued worthless checks. It goes on and on. Aggravated assault. What was that about in 1994? She has aggravated assault. Yeah, two counts of aggravated assault. And you pled guilty. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm not quite sure about Mr. Roche. If I if I could and now her um, dumbass attorney. We had questions about that, and of course, as the board is aware, we don't get a copy of the pre clemency. And your client lied our ass off to you, so he 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 doesn't know anything about to it. Verify that. I understand the records that the institution has as well don't indicate that that prior charge. So I don't know if that's a mistake in the pre report. It said that she pled guilty to one count and was fined $100 on five days in the parish jail. So that was a conviction. And the lawyer knows nothing about okay. it. Now, Again, we, we don't have a copy of the pre-clemency report, so if that's a mistake in the pre-clemency report, we, we can't challenge right. okay. it. What I'm saying is, part, you had financial problems for many years before you killed your parents. Yes, is sir. We, yes, sir, we did. Basically, you had embezzled over $30,000 from your parents and you cut the telephone lines so they couldn't be notified that their checking account had been compromised. Could this be a motive for killing your parents? No, sir. My parents would give me anything. They just wouldn't give me any money to give my husband. So why would you embezzle $30,000 from their parents? I don't recall it being that much. <laughs> I did write some checks on their account because I paid the bills for them. And okay. I did. Okay, thank you, Ms. Crane. Liar, liar, and I cut her off. Good for you, Pearl Boar. Ms. Crane, today is a day, and I would expect you to be honest about everything. She's never been honest in her life. The first step in rehabilitation is to take full responsibility for what you have done. And as late as it's in a statement to parole and probation in 2022, just last year, you said it, I did not kill my parents. Yes, sir. Most important step as far as I was done in your rehabilitation is that you accept responsibility for your actions and show that you have been rehabilitated and that you will not act such a manner ever again. Yes, sir. I understand. I've done that in your statements, and you've not done that today. Madam Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Richard. 
Ms. Crane, you've done some wonderful programs. What do you fucking do? Great. What have you done specifically to address your gambling addiction? I, they don't actually have a program here, but I entered a, the substance abuse, the living imbalance, because it is about addiction. And I, addiction has the same elements in any form. And so I attended that particular class and I attend an RDAP, which is a residential drug abuse program that we have in in-house with the re-entry court mentors weekly. Blah, 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 blah. So that I can just stay abreast on those things. Did you also have a drug uh, issue, drug problem? No, ma'am, I didn't have a drug problem. I had a parent get murder and okay. problem. All right, thank you. I don't have any other questions. Let's, uh, we'll hear from the folks who are here in support. Could we hear from the parole project? Y'all, I'm, I'm fast forward for this part, but I do want you to hear her daughter get on here. It's uh, quite spectacular. This is her daughter, y'all. Go ahead. Can you uh, can you just just uh, find a place? She just to, says she didn't have on anything but her underwear, and she's on Zoom. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Sorry. Listen to this. This is spectacular. Okay. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us your relationship to Miss Crane, and then tell us what you'd like us to know. Hi, I'm Megan Crane. I am Shanda's um, youngest daughter, and what I would like for y'all to know is that I personally I witnessed the abuse that took place before all this happened. I watched my daddy drown my mama. I watched my mama be forced to scrub the floor with the toothbrush. I have studied this case since I was a kid. And I can also tell you too, that the police, that it's, it's unfortunate that the people we look up to are supposed to protect and serve us. There are dirty ones. And that's just a fact because I personally was forced to plead guilty to a charge that I was innocent from. And I have proved that. But I also can tell you this. I I don't care. Paper can say anything. My mother, my mother is innocent because my mother was forced and in, 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 from mental abuse perspective, she was scared to death of my daddy. I watched her him take her head and put her in water and she would beg and she would beg and pick her head back up. My mama was scared of my daddy. My mama ain't a murderer. My mama is a survivor. My mama is a woman of God and she's the best mother that I could ever have. And I'm proud of my mama. And I don't care how it all looks because guess what? My mama, it may all look like my mama was part of it, but all it was, my mama was seeking love. And she allowed the devil, she allowed the devil to, to make her do things. And it put her in a bad spot and where fear took over. And it made her not only lose her husband, she lost her mama and daddy. She lost her life and her children. And my mama walked up in there and she was the first time ever in jail. And she was told she would never get out. And when I tell you my mama's done more for me in them walls than anybody, you better believe everything I'm telling you. And when I tell you them police that are involved in all that, they are dirty because they've reached out to me in the process. Mike Barnago, he reached out to me recently. And when I got to questioning him, guess what? That man never told me nothing. I've studied this case. I went up there. They've got files that are missing. And I understand you're about to stop. Hey, you need to wrap it up for us. Please. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She's still going. Stop because I wanted to stop you when you was questioning my mom. But let me All tell right. you, she is a victim. Thank you, ma'am. They cut her ass off. Right? I have not lived my life in 95, and I want to 
Please. They turned her off, Brittany, y'all. Can we hear from you? I, uh, I'm going to fast forward to the end, to the to the votes, because I got some shit to say. It's important. Uh, Mr. Crane took a polygraph test, passed, at which point she then changed the story to it was a Landon Crane, who was the person who committed the murder, till she ultimately then confessed to the murder, changed it to she participated in the murder, and has actually come now full circle to blaming now her deceased husband again for the murder in this case. I think that Ms. Crane's answers have shown that she is not willing to accept responsibility for the murder that she uh, that she was convicted of, for the murder that she had ultimately admitted to before then changing her story. So this is the, the DA saying his reasons why she's full of shit too, right? And uh, the daughter going off, they, they had to cut her off. And then I, I guess it's the second time. And I think that this shows a lack of uh, ability to be a part of the rehabilitative process. If she cannot have candor with this board or show any type of acceptance of responsibility for the murder in this case. Thank you. Thank you. Um, All right, Ms. Crane, is there a statement you'd like to make before we turn it over to Ms. McCray? Yeah, listen to this beauty. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I would like to begin by expressing my sincere thanks and gratitude to this honorable board for allowing me this opportunity. I realize that this opportunity is not due me and that it is a privilege. I've sat here and I've listened to people support me and speak about my accomplishment and the good I've done. As humbled as I am, I need this board and anyone who is listening to know that all the good I have done will never, ever overshadow the hurt and pain that I have caused others. Like my the bullet holes you put in your so parents. Many people of many things. Yeah. Please know there's not a day that goes by that I'm not reminded of this and regret what I did. I look back at the person I was 29 years ago. I was selfish, lost, abused, individual who had no direction. I took the life of two beautiful people who would have walked on the moon for me. I had no regard for others and only thought about myself. I was a liar and a thief who only wanted the validation and love of my husband. My sole purpose in life was to please him. Fast forward 29 years later, that person no longer exists. God, the Department of Correction, self-motivation, family and friend support have helped transform that person into a woman who has direction self-esteem and knows her self-worth. I know the value of family, others, and myself. I've worked hard not to erase the damage that I've caused to become the best version of me that I can be in order not to ever cause anyone else pain and hurt. I truly hope that my parents are looking down and are proud of the woman that I have become. If I could go back and undo what I did, I would, but I can't. However, I can move forward by continuing to give of myself to others and the community. I stand before you today full of regret and remorse requesting that you grant, grant me clemency and at time computation. I'm asking for the opportunity to give back to my family and the society that I took from. Thank you for your time and consideration. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Ms. McCray. Uh. Thank you. I say that I just look, her little side attorneys saying whatever. Now my the this is the board that I shows me is that you manipulative. 
haven't changed, because you haven't owned what you've done. And so for me, uh, I, I, not today, and I cannot today in good conscience vote for your commutation or to recommend a commutation, because I don't think you fully dealt with the issues that brought you here. And I don't think that your rehabilitation is complete because you still are unable to accept responsibility for your actions. So my vote today would be to deny. Mr. Russian. Thank you, Madam Chairman. First of all, I'd like to take my personal privilege. Professor Lancaster, Ms. McCray, and her co-counsel did an excellent job today. I really enjoyed their presentations. And it's talking about our lawyer and two, two law students that help. Ms. Cray, I like, I like a full responsibility for your actions. Overwhelming opposition in the legal community, law enforcement, DA's office. And I have to say it again. In light of responsibility, as far as I'm concerned, is to show that you have not rehabilitated yourself. So I agree with Ms. Jackson and my vote is to deny your request. Mr. Freeman? Uh, Ms. Crane, um, one thing is I think you're finally starting to admit, admit to guilt now you need to learn to deal with it. I just don't think you're ready yet. I also vote to deny. All right, Ms. Crane, so you've received three votes to deny your application for clemency this morning. I, I do with my colleagues. I think you're on the cusp. It's just not today. My vote today also is to deny. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it, y'all. That's the, the here and now. I want to, I know this is running long. I want to tell y'all uh, about some, her in prison. Now, this came from a direct source. Certainly, again, I have no direct knowledge because I wasn't there. Um, but I've got some responses since this video came out. And the reason I'm doing it is because of the video and some you know, the lifers out there that know this lady. I was going to say lady. Know, know this woman who butchered her parents. Um, and, you know, she, she's got all these people believing again that she's innocent and that to the point that she gets a clemency here and shit, that doesn't happen. Y'all. I mean, she said, it's not a right. It's a, it's a privilege, but guess what? It is a privilege and you got your fucking ass denied. Um, but so it, they talk about her, her young daughter. Uh, um, they talk about, I mean, they, they spent time with this lady. Okay. And I'm going to leave it at that. And I don't want her to know that it, who these people are either. Um, but they say, they say, and I don't have any proof of this, that one of our daughters committed a crime just to be in prison next to her and that, um, y'all in, in female prisons generally, they don't have the gangs. They, they have adapt a, a, a fake family situation like a dad and a mom and they'll have kids that they have in, in their family underneath them. Um, I don't know if, if this is true or not, but it's, it said that the daughter went in and, 
you know, we put her hair and pigtails and, and we try to go around Shander and Shander was embarrassed of her and would shoot her away and stuff like that. Oh, uh, they also said that Shander, Shander, the Shanda had a bag dagger and y'all a bag dagger is a prison expression for women who are gay for the stay basically. And they hook up with whomever they will that'll buy them stuff out of the canteen and that her bag dagger's name was Bob. Again, I don't have any direct knowledge. I'm just repeating shit that was, that was sent to me. Um, and you know, Whatever that it just goes on and on. The um, that this one person who who did pest control uh, evidently saw Bob um, performing oral sex on on Chandra and stuff like that. Um, they said that Chandra steals any and everything she can from the prison, the hustle for things and friends, and then a lot of the administration know about it, uh, but let her go because she's intelligent and can do administrative work. And that she's very sweet and soft-spoken voice and charismatic personality has um, been continually mastered through being uh, the the whole thing about the Toastmaster speaker and president, blah, blah, blah. Um, She said that, uh, how she says she's a good Christian woman, but in... But that she only really gets involved in anything that would help her get what she wants out of an administration. And she never, ever, in capitals, attended any Christian organization or church services. Um, and she's been known to tell people that she has an aversion to Christians because it was a Christian minister who forced a false confession out of her uh, after her parents. And, and she was abused and grief stricken while being interrogated, whatever. And. Anyway, it just goes on and on, uh, but it's crazy. Supposedly, she gets all kinds of people to send her money for the canteen and stuff like that, and um, you know that she's a master manipulator and a soulless monster, and nothing has changed in her, and it never will. Um, I, there's a lot more stuff in here that I'm not even going to read, not because it's not true, just because it's just it is what it is. So there you go, y'all. I think the I know the pearl board got it correct. It's funny, right? She goes in there and, and is trying to blame it on her husband again. Her husband is now dead, and it was proven not only was he not at the scene, he was driving a truck route. Right. So she goes in, she's coming back full circle to blame her husband again. And they get her in there and they call her on it. And, and then she, she changed her story again. And she admits that she did it. What the fuck? Right. And whatever. So I never did name, uh, this, this episode, but I'm gonna call it bag dagger. Um, just for fun. And so that's how, I mean, it's how evil exists, right? You brutally executed your parents after cutting the phone lines because you were in trouble for $30,000 and you thought you might get 50000 in uh, life insurance money. We'll conclude this episode. Uh, love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Thank you for sharing, liking. Go leave us a review. Go to the Real Life Real Crime community out. Oh, you know what I'm going to tell you about? i got to tell you about this guy. It's, it's my really good friend and y'all know when I retired from law enforcement that um, 
I became an expert in all U.S. federal courts and law enforcement matters, an expert witness. And so I met this attorney. I worked, I worked exclusively for defense attorneys. And I um, met this attorney, uh, Thomas Davenport Jr., okay? And he is a bulldog. He's out of Alexandria, Louisiana, but he practices all over the state of Louisiana. He... Um, he actually even teaches law school, okay? And, but the, the reason I'm telling you about him is, you remember the episode of War where I told you about the hotel where they left the, all the pubic hairs in my bed, they broke into my room and did all that? Well, Tommy handled that case for me also, and he busted their ass. Well, I'll put it at that. But the I've worked a lot of criminal cases with him over the years, and he just absolutely fights for his people like nobody I've ever seen. Now, uh, I love uh, Jasper Brock out of Livingston Parish, but he works strictly in the Livingston Parish area on criminal. Tommy, or Thomas Davenport, does criminal. He does uh, personal injury. He does everything. It's a one-man show, but he turns people away all the time because um, he wants to work on the cases that he believes in. So if y'all need a lawyer, now look, you can call Tommy, and he'll talk to you just like I would talk to you, and, and and he'll tell you straight up he's not going to lie to you. If you call him and, and say, hey, I got this case, he'll be like, mm, I can't help you. You know, He'll tell you who you can call, right? So you can go to www.davenportfirm.com, uh, or you can call his office at 318-445-9696. Now, listen, this is not a paid commercial, people. I'm doing this because I believe in this dude. I've seen him work. I've worked with him on murder cases. I worked with him on um, every every kind of case, drug cases, uh, child sex cases, whatever. But the also have seen what it, he did for me on the civil side. And if you need a lawyer or if you need to talk to a lawyer and ask questions and to get pointed in the right directions, then you need to call Thomas Davenport, 318 318- Four four five nine six nine six. He is not geographically um, constricted. Uh, I mean, he can go anywhere. He can practice anywhere, and you need to use him. And if you have ever, unfortunately, there's no good reason to get a lawyer. Right? Nobody wants a lawyer. Period. But if you have to have one, you call Thomas Davenport three one eight. Four four five nine six nine six. You might get Miss Kylie on the phone. She runs his office. She's a sweetheart too. Uh, but just tell her what you need, and Tommy will call you back. All right. So, Lopa, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Y'all know Jam. If you want to be an organ donor, and you're from Chicago, and uh, you don't have to be from Louisiana, you can go to lopa.org, fill out the form, become an organ donor, give it be a hero, uh, go to YouTube, check out Shane McBride and Missy Jules YouTube channel. They're doing episodes every week. And um, I, I was a guest on their show and they just have so much more information on Lopa than what I have. And the main thing is Lopa just doesn't help people with organ transplants. They help these families survive. It's a nonprofit it's saving lives every day. It's, and, I'm Woody Everton, your host of Real Life Real Crime, the podcast. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Any 
that you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.